Hello, everyone. Welcome to the last lesson for the fall encounter. You have made it. Woohoo! Yay! Fingers. There we go. Okay. I'm I'm excited. Um, I know Chris is excited. Um, next week we're going to be coming to you from a completely different setting, and we are we are thrilled to be able to share our new endeavors with you. Yes. Um, over the next, this quarter coming up and then the next quarter, we're going to have some different changes, trying to play around with some things. Ultimately, what we're trying to do is to make sure the encounter can have a very broad audience. So not only used in your church, but if there's individuals in the church that maybe can't come to Sunday school, but they want to follow along, um, it'll be a place to where you can get the videos and you can get the leader guide and you can get the, uh, the student book in a digital format um, and follow along each week. But again, we're kind of playing around. Um, and uh, so anyway, that's what we're doing. You'll, you'll still be able to find the videos here on YouTube. So don't worry. They're and still going to the be there for those of you that are, are following along on YouTube and the podcast. Um, but we're, we're trying to open up a different avenue to allow individuals to participate as well. So yeah. we're excited about that. We're thrilled. Um, and this is the first Sunday of Advent. So happy Advent. Happy Advent. I'm so excited for that. Today, our scripture selection comes from Jeremiah 1, 4 through 10 and 7, 1 through 11. And our memory verse is Jeremiah 7, 5 and 7. It says, for if you truly amend your ways and your doings, if you truly act justly with one another, then I will dwell with you in this place and the land that I gave to your ancestors forever. Let's have our prayer for illumination. God, you give us so many opportunities to share your good news with the world. In this study, teach us how to tell our story and become bold in proclaiming your word. Amen. Amen. All right. So let's start with our discussion question today. Says, have you ever witnessed the destruction of a building with which you felt familiar or attached? How does it feel when you remember that the house, school, or building no longer stands? Um, yes, I have. Okay. Uh, I didn't witness necessarily the destruction of it, but I used to live in this little 700 square foot rat infested trailer in St. Louis in a cornfield uh, while I was going to seminary and had no money. Can't, can't really get a lot with the subway salary. Anyway. Right. Wow. Yeah. Finally TV. Anyway. I'm just terrified of the rat infested. That just kind of freaks me out. I had a possum die underneath it and I didn't know what it was. And like when it got hot, I, anyway, there was not enough cleaning until I figured out something was dead underneath that trailer. Anyway. Um, but that trailer, like, you know, like I remember anytime I went after I moved back to Nashville and Paducah or whatever. Anytime I go to St. Louis, you could see it. It was the exit that you get off Scott Air Force Base. I think it was like exit 16 or something like that. Um, heading toward St. Louis, you could look over and you could just see the very top of it. And so I'd be like, I live there, whatever. And then one day I was with someone and I was like, and it wasn't there. And I thought that dude done torn down my house. That was going to be a museum one day. But that's hilarious. Yeah, it was weird because like it was for sure. two years, it was it was a part of my life that was really strange. It was the first time that I was away from my family uh, and alone on Christmas and, you know, Advent season. It was first, yeah. you know, it was really um, the farthest I'd ever been away. Not um, I had lived on my own 
after I graduated high school, then I went to college. But when I lived on my own in high school, it was literally a mile and a half down the, down from my parents. This was the first time I was kind of alone. Gotcha. And so I had to grow and learn what it meant to be an independent adult and all these things. Sure. It was kind of fun. And um, anyway, so that was one. And it was just. And, and so you have all these emotions attached to that building. It, <clears throat> yeah. It I get that. What about you? I can't say that I've ever witnessed the destruction of a building. However, my childhood home, um, my dad built my childhood home. Like he dug out the basement wheelbarrow by wheelbarrow. And then when they moved, when my parents relocated to Southern Missouri, I stayed in Wisconsin for like a year and a half. Um, and then we moved to Missouri and the people that they sold the house to, it was just weird having people that were in my house, you know, it was kind of strange, but then years later, it was a couple of summers ago, we went back to visit my in-laws who are still in Wisconsin. And I drove by the house and it was, it had a sign out front and I was really confused by it. So I went back to my in-laws and started like looking on Verbo. And now my house is, is a vacation rental, mm-hmm. my childhood home. And so it had pictures on Verbo of the house. And it was like, it was weird because I have the memories of what the house looks like and it looks familiar, but it's not the same. It is different. Um, and the way they've redone the basement is completely different from the memories that I have from it. So it was kind of a, a very odd feeling to know that, you know, some of the things that were in the house, I remember my dad and I built together and some of those things are still there. And I'm like, I remember hammering those panels in or doing this, you know, but it's, it's not the same, just strange. It was a strange feeling. It is a strange feeling. And I think that's what, um, you know, that accurately probably summarizes what the Israelites felt about the, the temple. Yeah. I mean, it's just, you have people. So in this story today, we're talking about Babylon coming in. Last week, we talked about Assyria and this week we have Babylon coming in and Solomon built the first temple. Um, but then Babylon came in and destroyed it. Yeah. Unbuilt the first temple. Yeah. Unbuilt the first temple. So how awful must that have been for the Israelites who this was their place of worship? This was the place where they met God. This is where they did their sacrifices. And now it's gone. Gone, gone, gone. Yeah. That brings up in that last paragraph, Jeremiah is known as the weeping prophet because he lived in a time of great tragedy. And he was tasked with warning the people of Israel regarding God's judgment. Not a good place to be in. Not a good place. And poor Jeremiah. He struggled hard. Which is going to lead us into exploring the scripture. We're going to talk about um, Jeremiah. So what do you got in that section, Chris? So again, we've kind of touched on it. Uh, Dodge the Assyrians. Yep. But then the Babylonians uh, come up into here. Um, and so um, this is the beginning of the end. So Babylonia besieged Jerusalem in 598. The next king, Zedekiah, was appointed by the Babylonian emperor, but he eventually rebelled too, and the city was besieged again. Only this time, the Babylonians burned the city and destroyed the temple. And then that's also the mark of when um, everybody was carted off in Judah, uh, Southern Kingdom. And so that starts the exile. Because the Northern Kingdom was already gone. 
right that was taken over during the Assyrian Empire yep um so but this shouldn't be a surprise right and because that's what the whole the prophets first in the northern kingdom yeah hey guys hey guys going the wrong way, going the wrong way, going the wrong way. And then in the Southern kingdom, look what happened to them. You're going the wrong way. And then they went ahead and kept going, but they did it in this religiosity kind of way to where like they gave mouth service to the importance of the temple and how much they loved it and how much they loved God. But then like their actions, um, showed their, you know, the fruit of their actions was terrible. Yep. So, um, and this is where we bring up, of course, Christ will, we'll talk about it in a bit, but I do like the way uh, Caleb brings up the fact that, like, when you say, when you hear Jesus in the gospel say, this has become a den of robbers, really, uh-huh. probably the best way of thinking is violent ones. And the uh, yes. correlation would be in the Good Samaritan, like, the the robbers who, like, beat and almost killed the... Good Samaritan. <laughs> well, the Samaritan rescued the... Oh, that's right. Yeah, the... Who you know? Um, I don't. I forgot the exact term, but the Jewish person, like yep. the ones who beat them, that's the image you're supposed to see in this passage. When you think of robbers, yeah, yeah. So that's pretty harsh language, uh, and it didn't come with Jesus. I mean, again, humans stay the same. So even way back in Jeremiah's day, you know, people are terrible, 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 terrible. You need a savior, and so there you go. Hmm. Hmm. And Jeremiah. Or Jeremiah, he's known as the weeping prophet, not only because of the tragedy that that he was tasked with warning people about, but he didn't really want to do this. <laughs> well, that was the second reason. I think there's a third reason why he's the weeping prophet. Okay. It's because he loved Jerusalem and he loved the people sure. in it and he knew what was coming. Again, I think like if you're a pastor, Sunday school teacher, you're teaching people, you're preaching to people. You're not just preaching or teaching. And if you don't love people, then you probably won't be as authentic. Mm-hmm. And if you do love people, you'll probably be deeply disappointed every once in a while. Sure. And it will grieve you. Yeah. Absolutely. I mean, as as <clears throat> from experience, yes, I, I would agree that that sometimes people that I thought better of surprised me with comments that came out of their mouth. Yeah. It hurts when you see people and, and when you oh, just see people struggle, it hurts. Yeah. It's painful. It's painful because you want to help, but you know, the only, the ultimate help they need is a relationship with Christ. And when they deny that relationship, kind of like what happened with the Israelites, Jeremiah kept trying to tell them, turn around, come back, turn around, come back. We're going to, we're going to face this horrible thing if we don't turn around and come back. And then when he witnessed the tragedy of what happened, it just tore him apart because he loved the people. He loved Israel. He loved the temple and he watched it all fall away because of the choices that were made by people. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So that discussion question says, you've likely heard the phrase actions speak louder than words. In your opinion, is this statement truthful? Why or why not? I struggle with this one. Yes and no. Okay. I mean, obviously, you know them by their fruits. Sure. Um, and yes, actions do speak louder than words. Um, if somebody's trying trying to be hypocritical or manipulative, 
Like you have politicians that say, oh gosh, I'm going to do everything in the world for you. And they get there and do everything in the world for them. That's hypocritical. Sometimes though, people just stink at doing right, but they really want to. Or there's those highly charged emotional things to where um, you love someone deeply, but you do something that offends them, not meaning to hurt them, but because you failed, right? And so uh, maybe over time, maybe that's the difference. Maybe over time, like over time, if you, if you say how much you love someone or love something, you see at least a growth. But every once in a while, you do love and honor something, but you transgress against it because you're human. Mm-hmm. So I, mean, I guess that's what I'm saying. Yeah. So yes, I believe it. But also, you know, there's just, there are moments where you fail, no matter okay. what you profess. If you're a kid or if you have a kid, you've done this, like you want to be the best parent ever. And then sometimes you just right. fail. Yeah. Or sometimes you say, do as I say, not as I do. Yeah. I mean, you know, because <laughs> you know better, but then, you know, you want them to be better than you. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. I, I agree with that. Uh, you know, I'm with you. I'm kind of back and forth on that one because I think ultimately over long term, your actions are going to speak louder than your words, but maybe in the moment it yeah. fails, you know? Yeah. So let's dig a little bit deeper. Let's do it. People don't like to hear when they are wrong. <laughs> what? We don't like to be told that we're. I've I'm, always I'm shook. made I'm it shook. a goal to not give people reason to do that. Oh, yeah. Let me, let me perfectionist. Thank over you. Here. Thank yeah. you. You're welcome. <laughs> So Caleb starts us off with, this is, this is why we can understand why Jeremiah was really hesitant to accept this call. And I think anybody who has felt that call from God, there is a hesitation. Um, and I'm, I'm going to, well, I'm going to wait, I'm going to bring up another thought later about that. Um, but I think that's when you know the pronouncement that you're going to have to share and you know, it's not a popular opinion and you know that people are going to be upset about it. I think, I think this is where hesitation comes in. Cause again, we're people and we like approval and we like to be well thought of. And Jeremiah was not going to be well thought of. Right. Um, yeah, I'll, uh, I'll say you got that one, right. I'm going to go down to that next paragraph and just say pe- the people of Judah um, convince themselves that the temple of the Lord was like a get out of jail free card. <clears throat> yeah, we do that mm-hmm. with uh, the message of grace. It's like kind of like when Paul says, "What shall we go on sinning?" Of course not. Yeah. But for whatever reason, we uh, we human beings we like to say, "Oh, yeah. well, we got the promise." So, and that's Romans six, yeah, six one verses four. one through two. Yeah, mm-hmm. one through four, one through two. That I actually looked that one up because that's exactly what I thought of. Uh, when I was reading through this, it's, it, there are people today that we don't call it the get out of jail free card. We call, we call it getting your, buying your fire insurance. Or, get yeah. out of jail free. What? Yeah. 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 You're better than I am at saying things. Right. Making sure that you got your fire insurance paid up, mm-hmm. you know, but this is, you know, there's rules 
um, God has a certain expectation for the Israelites and the way that they were supposed to live. If you go back to the 10 commandments, the 10 commandments can kind of be split into two different categories. You have the way Israel, um, acts with God. And then you have the way that they're supposed to deal with each other. Um, and they just didn't do it. Yeah. They weren't good at it. They were not good at it. Uh, the next thing I would bring up then would be, he talks about, you know, the temple being in proximity to the people or whatnot, <clears throat> but I've got in here, which I think he's right. One of the problems that they had was like <clears throat> their proximity to God being a physical place. They knew mm-hmm. that wasn't right, but it's easier if we can say God's over there and then mm-hmm. that way we can do what we want to over here, but mm-hmm. we, need God, we can go over there. <clears throat> now sure. we do the same thing in a sense, the proximity to God isn't a place. It's, it's the spirit. It's the Holy Spirit. Yeah. And so, <clears throat> goodness, changing Get it up, <clears throat> trying. But anyway, we do need to not think of God. We've we've had this God, especially during COVID. Like God is not enthroned in your local church. No. God is enthroned in your heart. But there's a reason why the church is there. There's a reason why the temple is there. Yes. <clears throat> anyway. And it, again, I think it's to bring in that ritual. You know, just like our, our churches, it's it's meant for the edification of the people. Because when you come together as as people, bringing glory to God, it it not only edifies and gives glory to God, but it it builds that community and it builds each other up. So that when you leave those four walls, that you're able to continue being the light set on the hill. And if you forsake the assembly, you forsake that relationship and you forsake that edification that you need to continue being the light that you need to be. Yes. Um, let's see. What else do I have in here? Caleb on page 74 brings up the moment where Jesus turns over the tables, says, Hey, you've made this a den of robbers or thieves. Mm-hmm. Again, uh, go back to thinking about the, the den of the violent ones. When yeah, he says that. Um, and I like the imagery of, thinking about a cathedral and having hot dogs, you know, up there at the sanctuary. That just, that made me giggle a little bit, honestly, but that's so true. Um, I can't imagine walking in the, the Sistine Chapel. That was one of them that I was thinking about. You know, I've been in the Sistine Chapel. It's beautiful. Get your hot amazing. dogs here. Get your hot dogs. And I, I just can't imagine in the middle of the Sistine Chapel, somebody yeah. selling hot dogs. You know, that just, Wow. <clears throat> and then on Good the bottom, thought, Caleb. Right. Oh my goodness. On the bottom of page 74, when people become comfortable with God's faithfulness and protection, they start to abuse it. <laughs> Amen. Yeah. And so we've had before the talk about, you know, what does it mean to fear God and respect yes. God? That's what it means. I mean, it's like your parents, you have this chummy chummy relationship, but when dad gets mad or when yeah. your father gets home or. <laughs> yeah. <clears throat> you there are consequences to your actions. You respect that role. And <clears throat> what is the phrase familiarity breeds contempt? I mean, that's mm-hmm. humanity. Mm-hmm. It happens. Absolutely. <clears throat> uh, so there was, there was a spot towards the end, the top of page 75. Yeah. Um, yeah. yeah. You want to bring that up? Yeah. It's part of the discussion question too. Okay. Well, we can put um, it in the discussion question. Kind of. Well, how about we just hit the discussion question and see what Okay, sure. You want to do both of them? Sure. 
Okay, so the Temple of Herod was eventually destroyed by the Roman Empire in the year 70, but we proclaim as followers of the risen Christ that his glorious body is our new temple. Is it a house of prayer? Is it a house of prayer where we serve and obey God's will? Or is it a get out of jail free card that we like to keep in our back pocket? On a good day, prayer, love, obedience. Sure. On a normal day, probably the get out of jail free card. Fire insurance. Right. <laughs> now, I mean, it's just our attitude. Yeah, we talked about that. Yeah. I mean, I agree. Um, we're humans, uh, but, you know, the more we mature, the better that gets. Yes. Um, Intentionality. I said that was in the discussion question, but maybe it's not. What's the next discussion question, Reverend? The next one says, we see God's holy temple presence in nature, others, and ourselves. Do we treat ourselves, our neighbors, and our environment as manifestations of God's presence in our world? Okay, it does kind of fit. So, no, of course we don't, but we try. Um, on page on page 30, just above that, the last paragraph, where he says, as a quick side note, I must caution you not to take Jeremiah's words and attempts to apply them to every disaster or destructive in the world. Of course, yes. Violence and death are not the result of God's judgment. Mostly. Jeremiah's words are a product of a very specific context, and the judgment of God that resulted in the destruction of the temple was caused by very specific events. Let us remember to read the double stories carefully, remembering that they are given to teach and inspire us, not to be plucked down of the context and haphazardly applied to the current events. True, but like God didn't just stop allowing like well, Elisha and Naaman very clearly says God gave Naaman the victory. Very sure. clearly in the Old Testament says God gave Israel the victory or God gave Israel's enemy the victory. Mm-hmm. So the reason I, I bring this up is that or you know, natural events that, you know, sometimes kill many people or, you know, and then we have Jesus saying, well, you think you're better than those people who the tower of Solomon fell on. Right. So I I get keeping things in balance, but at the same time, I do think that there's times when war, um, world war two, like Hitler and the Axis powers needed a whooping. They weren't doing right. Now, we could say that that has nothing to do with God. That was just evil people rising up and good people um, fighting against. But I would say that we don't really know what good and evil is because there's probably a lot of evil people fighting for the good. And there was probably a lot of good people fighting for the bad because of how politics and nations rage. But I would I guess what I caution people is to say that when something bad does happen, I'm not saying, you know. The part of the profit in us is to evaluate whether God is moving in something or not. Um, Mm -hmm. And and the reason I say that is because, like, you know, when kids do something stupid um, or if somebody robs a bank, right, if we say, you know, I don't know how to say this, but the problems that people do or the things that people do, if it's always just because it happens or it's the environment or whatever, then you can keep doing it and you can just say, well, the reason why this didn't work out or it, it went bad for me is because I didn't do it well enough or, you know, try harder next time. And, but if you tell people, no, this was wrong, like it was against God, mm-hmm. then, then they have a basis to say, I shouldn't do this. Mm-hmm. Anyway. 
So like when Christ throws over the temple tables, it's not like he's saying things like, I don't know, there, I don't know what I'm trying to say, except to say that there are some things in the world that probably is, is a warning or a, you know, discipline. Or a judgment from God. Yeah, and I, and I don't don't go crazy on that, but I'm just saying right. Just there there has everything. to be there's yeah. a, there's a balance. There is a balance because God is in control. Yeah, now He has a permissive will or whatnot, but I mean things don't happen and surprise God. It's not like, oh, how did that happen? Yeah, like yeah, you know, yeah. I anyway, agree. I don't know. I struggle with that just in the sense of, and so then how does that affect? Like, how does God's holy temple presence in nature, others, and ourselves, um, we see God's holy temple presence in nature. Well, nature is beautiful and also destructive. Other people yes. are beautiful and also destructive. We are beautiful and also destructive. And so I don't know how to, I don't know. And then do we treat ourselves, our neighbors, and our environment as manifestations of God's presence in this world? Not as well as we should. No. I don't know. No, I agree. I don't, this is a great discussion question because this is one of those that really teachers is going to make you and your class think hopefully about how, how do we still witness God's presence working in our world? You know, in the Western culture, we like to explain everything away by science and can we explain everything away by science or is you can explain it by science? Sure. But is God's presence still there? Is God's presence still working? I, I mean, these are some these are some deep questions for you and your class to really um, think about today. Is how do we in the Western world explain some of the more supernatural happenings, especially that you see like in third world countries and churches that are being established there? How do we explain that, and how do we see God working through that? Just something to think about today. So let's learn from the scripture. What do you got there? Do our best. First, I feel completely in one accord with Brother Caleb. Yeah. Says, I do not feel worthy of serving a church as a church leader. Mm-hmm. No, I don't. Not at all. Um, <clears throat> and I think to I, myself. I would concur. The Lord is so brilliant and his wisdom no one can fathom. But he decides to use us to carry mm-hmm. on a plan. Like. Run this by me, Lord. How is that even possible? Or why would you even want to, knowing my failings? Right. And I like what he says. Uh, One of the extraordinary, in the first paragraph under the subheading, one of the extraordinary things about God's love is that God does not have to work through us. Like he doesn't. Like we we can pull ourselves away from a calling of God. And I go back to the Esther passage where... Uh, Mordecai says, hey, look, you don't have to stand up for your people, but you'll probably die. God will find somewhere else, though, to raise up redemption. And so we have this invitation that we can be part of the Great Commission or the working of God or not. not. And it won't work out as well. We'll feel frustrated if we don't allow ourselves to be used by God, even if we're fearful or don't feel worthy of it. Mm -hmm. You're not worthy of it. So don't worry about that part. Just do it. Right, right, right. I like how he says that it's, it's both frightening and exciting because there is an element of, of excitement about being able to declare God's word to the world. But there is also that terrifying moment of what if I mess up 
And the and answer to that is you're going to. Yeah. You just don't worry to. about it. Yeah. That's, that's my favorite thing. I don't know why people worry about messing up. You're going yeah. to. Don't worry about it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, you are going to mess up. You know, but that's that's built in. I mean, God knows the beginning from the end. And, and yeah. it's not as though you're planning out your own plan. You're participating in God's plan. And God's, God's big plan. Enough to, you know, and I think this is where I'd like to bring up a thought process that I had earlier is that being people that are called by God and being there to share the message, I've had it told to me a few different times that sometimes people feel like their pastors are just kind of like hammering down on them, kind of like the the prophets were bringing these terrible messages of tragedy. But the word of God is supposed to be transformative. And if you're not feeling a twinge of conviction about your attitude, about the way you're behaving in the world around you, about how you're treating your neighbors, is your pastor really doing the word of God justice in your life? If you're not feeling convicted to change somehow, to be transformed. If all you get every Sunday morning is a feel-good message, how is that transforming your life? And how is that transforming the people around you? And do you really want to grow? And and do you really want to grow? Yeah, that's a great question. I would say, so maybe this is, um, no, this is off target, but I'm going to talk about it anyway. Um, When you listen to your pastor, like there's churches, you know, that get cross with their pastors. And of course, that's why we have, you know, people moving from church to church or whatever. But like, as much as it depends on you, Come with an attitude. I guess this does go back to how the Israelites came to the temple with their attitude. Yeah. Like preaching styles, for instance, or worship styles. I struggle with this. Like if I don't have the Lord's prayer, sometimes I don't feel like I've been at church. But whose problem is that? That's my problem because I'm I'm criticizing. I'm coming with a spirit of criticism and then not with a spirit of humility to learn and to worship. And I think that makes a huge big difference on how you receive your pastor's message. Like your pastor is going to say something that's brilliant on accident even, or by the work of the Holy Spirit. Yeah. Like I don't exclude myself from that. Um, And they're not going to be good at some things because we're human. Yeah. But the Holy Spirit is active in that, in that moment too. Mm -hmm. So submit yourself to the spirit when you go to worship. Yeah. Which I think is what Jesus was probably trying to say when he turned those temples over and quoted Jeremiah. Yes. Yes. There, there is this, and I love on the bottom of page 75, Caleb says, he said, God qualifies us according to our call. The sooner we remember this, that simple truth, the sooner we can stop arguing with God and get to work. We all have a call. We all have something that we're, we're meant to do that, that God has purposed intentionally for our life. It may not be a weeping prophet. It may be a weeping mother. It may be a weeping father. I don't, you know, I don't know, but you have a call on your life and submit to God and get to work. How's that sound? Sounds good to me. <laughs> so how do we apply this scripture? Um, Caleb in the middle of the paragraph, he says, there's much to learn from how Jeremiah shows us the delicate balance between God's judgment and God's grace. And I think that is really true. Again, it goes back to that conversation of balance 
earlier. How do we, how do we view the judgment versus the grace? Where's, where's the balance of that? So I would say this, I don't know if I would term it this way. I know what he's trying to say, Yeah. but I don't know if I would write it like this. I think I would go back to the, uh, the fear of the Lord. Like I have absolutely mm-hmm. no doubt. Like, I don't think there's a balance between God's judgment and God's grace in my life. And only in the sense of I've already been judged and I've been forgiven. Sure. So like, there's no balance there anymore. I'm forgiven. I'm terrible every day, but I'm forgiven. Yeah. But I fear the Lord or respect the Lord. And so then maybe I think that's what Caleb's trying to say. And so maybe I'm being a snob there. Um, Probably. Chances are good. But, But I mean, like, I don't think there's necessarily a balance between judgment and and uh, grace in a believer's life because we're saved in Jesus Christ. Yeah. Like our confession of faith is the preservation of believers and all that jazz. But yeah. Um, or, or if he means judgment as in discipline, then yes, I'm all on board with that phrase because, you know, that's part of that fear and respect and growth and all that jazz. Yeah. But not eternal judgment. Okay. I'm being a snob. Okay. There we go. Maybe that maybe not. I'm with you on that. So maybe not eternal judgment, but the the discipline, the daily discipline yeah. that we are supposed to have. Yeah. I'm I'm more there. Yeah. Um, and then I think, you know, as we draw near to God every day, let us sit restlessly in the juxtaposition. Another that's a word I love, of Christ's suffering and victory, his foot washing and his crown wearing. Right. And so like, that's, you know, yeah. that's, that's good. That's, uh, that's a good place to be. I mean, like we have the victory, we suffer. Sure. We're children of God. We wash feet. Yes. Uh, that's the attitude that we, that we bring. Yeah, absolutely. So the response question then is how would you describe your personal relationship with God in your own words? And what are two or three tangible things you can do to grow closer to God, knowing that your proximity to God will bring not only comfort and peace, but also conviction and commission. Um, I cannot remember if it was in this lesson or the last lesson that we talked about our fear and anxiety, because like, you know, we've just been sitting here, not changing yeah. clothes or anything for a week. Um, <laughs> But I think it was the last lesson. Um, yeah, the last lesson was do not yeah. fear. Um, the tangible ways that I can grow closer to God, knowing that proximity to God will bring not only comfort and peace, but also conviction and commission. Again, proximity is not a geographic location. When I intentionally stop and say, I'm, I'm, I'm in fear or I'm worried, and then I say, I'll say a prayer like this, Lord, be... Make me aware of your presence. Sure. That's usually my first step. Just make me aware of your presence. And then calm it down. And then prayer, right? Yeah. Reading yeah. the word, these kinds of things. These are some of the ways that that I can um, feel. Because, again, God's everywhere. So it's not like God disappeared or he's right. far away. It's right. just that we don't feel or sense the presence. And so be right. made of the presence of God. And, and part of, part of the growth, and I know we talk about this often, but part of that growth is, is the spiritual disciplines, right? Like, how are you participating in a daily practice of, of trying to grow and be closer to God and, and growing your relationship with God? How, how are we doing that? Is it through prayer, meditation, study, you know, whatever it happens to be, if we're not participating 
then I would argue that we're just looking for comfort and peace and not looking for that conviction that the Holy Spirit gives us and following the commission that God has given us. Some thought process for you today. Yes. All right. Okay, folks. We've closed the book. Close the clear encounter. I'm so excited. I am. I'm deeply thankful for everybody that is encountering um, our videos. uh, And And I'm excited for you guys next week to um, see us in a different setting and um, let us know what you think. And um, tell a friend. Now, may the love of God, the peace of Christ, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Amen. Amen. Bye, everyone. Next week. Next week. See you then.